Guys, welcome to another episode of Connotations. We've got Jonathan Varsena in the house, a good old friend from uh, year year ten, wasn't it? The first time I met you was yeah. it year ten? When did you come oh. to England? Two thousand and nine. From Spain. Spain. Um, so two thousand and nine. I must have been. I was year seven in two thousand and five. So I would have been like plus four. Uh, nah, year, year 11. 11. Okay, okay, okay. And um, I'm going to get straight into it, bro, because I remember one of the first questions um, and one of the first discussions we had at school was like, what do you want to be when you're older? And you said at the time, I want to be an MP. Yeah. And I remember your views back then as well. They were quite, um, they were quite um, a bit more to the left. And then you decided to, you know, switch sides and go on to the right. But recently you told me that you um, you sort of left the Conservative Party. Um, and yeah, just tell me how that came about, man. How you actually got into the um, Conservative Party. Like you remember, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me all about that. Um, obviously your time in uni leading the um, society and, you know, the awards and stuff you won and the head, uh, what was it, the head president or you were running for something you were running some campaign and i remember yeah. um, I, I was supporting that but until i realized it was a, it was for the blue party <laughs> no no it, it was it wasn't actually for the conservative party because i was running um for the um student um council elections so i was running for president of the student union which was a very interesting experience and um as you know, uh, most university students, um, well, university politics is mainly dominated by the left. Yeah. And obviously, coming in as a renowned conservative, <laughs> it was in the immediate welcome that I would have expected. But it was a very good experience. Um, and going back to the school days, um, I would say ideologically i've always been a conservative i mean um and i think that's the that's true of most minorities um the way we brought up is mainly with conservative views and um the first eight years of my life um i was born in west africa yeah. tiny tiny country called equatorial guinea and you know i remember everything that my mother taught me um as i got older i started understanding more about political ideologies i realized that you know um this is mainly conservative beliefs. Hmm. But so back there in in your uh, motherland, yeah, uh, you had sort of more conservative views as well. Yeah. Um, well, to be to be honest, at that age, I wasn't very yeah. politically He's active. Quite young, wasn't he? But no, but obviously, understanding was, now, they yeah, were conservative. They views. were conservative views, right. but that it was uh, a product of my environment of how I, um, I was brought up. Uh, my mom always told me, you know, if you want something, you have to work for it. Um, you know, it was mainly don't expect anyone to come and do it for you. Um, if you want anything, was that you what, have to put was in that a work. British colony? Uh, no, it was the only Spanish-speaking country in Africa. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's only uh, less than a million of us. Um, well, the numbers vary because there isn't anything that's been properly researched. But um, I will put it around. Somewhere in between 700,000 and 1.2 million. Wow. So uh, many of us um, go straight uh, from Equatorial Guinea to, to Spain because that's, you know, inter during the colonial era, that's uh, the country was most connected to. And yeah, you'll find a lot of people from Equatorial Guinea in Spain. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, how um, 
uh, Algerians, Moroccans, Sen- Senegalese people, they have that, uh, they have that affinity with uh, French and the uh, people of France. Yeah, <laughs> if you look at, if you look at sort of uh, the history of immigration, um, from Africa and even from uh, many Asian countries is that they tend to go to um, the colonial powers. Mm. So um, where you will find Indians and Pakistani mainly in the UK, that's due to the British Empire. And it's the same with um, the country I was born in, Equatorial Guinea. We mainly go to Spain. So so would you say that um, a lot of the views, uh, say, for example, in Equatorial Guinea, um, they are conservative because the budgets are so small, everyone has to work hard and earn a living uh, and be hardworking? Um, I would say there's not much to do with the budget, but I would say it's conservative because that's most people uh, believe that... um, you have to work for if you want something you have to work for it and uh we don't have sort of like the welfare system that they have here so it's pretty much you know if you're poor and you want to get out of poverty you better find a way there's no welfare payments coming from anywhere yeah that's more or less the same with pakistan really yeah Yeah, you you've got to find your own way and i think that influences the way people see things and although when we move to uh, Western countries and you experience the welfare system, which um, that's that's something that I've always found quite interesting and is one of the things that got me so hooked into politics is that I looked at Equatorial Guinea where sort of we don't have uh, these government provisions and most people, in my opinion, think uh, in a conservative way. And then when we go to these Western countries, we seem to align with the left, which ideologically is the complete opposite to what we believe. But it is the case that, you know, uh, in Western countries, we usually see the left as being the immigration friendly (laughs) and the right being, you know, anti-immigration. Would it it also be uh, because in those kind of third world countries, um, say there's a lot of people who are disabled or they uh, they're not able to work in countries like in the UK they have that f- uh, welfare facility where they can um, get uh, resources from yeah absolutely because um, one thing that is is rather unfortunate that those people we don't have in our own home countries we don't have provisions for you know the the most vulnerable so imagine if you're perfectly physically able to do things um as a poor person and it's still hard for you now put into the picture having disabilities so i wouldn't uh, in the country i was born in i wouldn't want to be someone with disabilities in the country i was born in because life must be pretty hard for them Mm. Uh, it's already hard for everybody but imagine having those physical impairments that you know stop you from being able to essentially hustle the way other people hustle yeah imagine how much much harder it must be so from that perspective i can understand why when we move to western countries we sort of become more attached to the left and historically they've shown the most whether that there is any evidence to prove that but historically they've always been seen as the most friendly towards uh immigrants Mm. and the right i think to a certain extent they they do deserve the um they do deserve the sort of reputation they have as being 
unfriendly towards minorities and uh, immigrants, although I think it's a lot more complicated than that. It's not simple black and white because with everything you find, you know, you will find people who agree with it and disagree with it. If you look at the example of the US, the Democratic Party was actually the party for slavery, you know, back in the day. So it's, it's interesting how, you know, in the early stages, the Republicans were seen... Uh, to be more friendly towards minorities because yeah. they were the party. That, I mean, the American Civil War was, you know, essentially because the the Republicans didn't yeah. believe in slavery um, and the Democrats, uh, you know, the southern states relied primarily on slave labor to, to make their money. But then if you go deeper into it, which is why I say it's a lot more complicated than black and white, if you go deeper into it, Yes, the Republicans were against slavery on um, primarily religious principles. But if you look into what they believed in everything, they, you know, you look at things like e, divide, um, divided, but, is it divided but equal, where they believe, okay, it's fine. We, we don't want slaves, but we, we don't want them to do well in society. So um, you had segregation. Yeah. So you had... Um, I think th- I think they um they they regarded like a um a black person as three fifths was yeah, it yeah exactly was so that... you needed two black people to make one yeah 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 <laughs> to make uh, two black men it, it was never to make one yeah. one person it was never an even playing field exactly um, even and, after slavery was abolished. and if you look at um the history of the US uh, with a lot of the inequalities that existed within the uh, black community that goes all the way back to to those days where you had schools for white kids and you had schools for uh, black kids, uh, public uh, facilities for blacks and white. There was a lot of funding and investment going into the facilities for white people, mm-hmm. but then there was not much going into the facilities for black people. So then you think, okay, you don't want us to be slaves, but yeah you're not doing I mean, much for us are you i i always thought that um where they say there's a there's a, the right and the left i always thought that this it's not right and left there's there's like a middle not even a middle there's like people that are probably like partially on the right some on the left um i don't think that it's like black and white like uh, yeah because for example for me and i've met a lot of people both on the left and on the right who kind of fall into the same category as me. Um, I wouldn't fully describe myself to be on the right. And I've met a lot of people who don't describe themselves to be uh, on the left. Is that center stage, so center yeah. right, it's center like, left, yeah, exactly. where we are able to find a common ground. Yeah. So although yeah. my ideology pushes me in this direction, we still have that common ground that says, okay, we can agree on these things. We just disagree on how to get there. And I think especially for British politics, that's something, uh, and American politics, we've seen it with Donald Trump and we've seen it now with Boris Johnson. The state of politics worries me today because I think we've taken a thousand steps back from all the progress that had been done in society from a socio-economic perspective and socio-political in the sense that I feel these days people are too loyal to a political parties, mm. people are too loyal to ideologies in terms of, you know, I'm on the right, so I'm going to support everything the right does. I'm on the left, so I'm going to support everything the, li- uh, the left does. And I think that's dangerous. That's what leads to 
having people like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson being able to say completely outrageous things that 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you say something like that, or if you do something like that, your career is over. It's yeah. like right yeah. now with Donald Trump, uh, with his impeachment trial. Yeah. So they voted to completely get rid of that and say, no, he's not done anything wrong. One Republican, uh, Mitt Romney, who ran for president, I think it was in 2016? Um, no, uh, the election before. So 2009, yeah. I think, he, uh, he uh, ran against yeah, Obama. Yeah, yeah. So he voted uh, to convict Donald Trump and remove him from office. And his explanation is that he's from his the commitment that he's done to the U.S. Constitution and to his God. He said that what he believes from the bottom of his heart that what Donald Trump is, has done is able to be impeached. Now, Donald Trump is plotting to remove him. So we've gotten to a point in which Game a president, yeah, a president is able to, okay, you voted against me, you didn't mm. support me, so now I'm going to make life hell for you. It's like it's like questioning democracy itself. Exactly. Yeah. So where people can't speak freely, and even the national security advisor that testified against Trump, he's he's going to get removed. And I think that's completely outrageous that we can get to a point, we've gotten to a point from all the progress that we've done. I mean... I think people. Two thousand and eight, we elected the U.S. elected a black president. Yeah. Look where we are now. Yeah, yeah. It's like the total That's opposite, crazy. right? But where do you think these um, loyalties come from? You were talking about, you know, early on in the podcast, you was talking about um, coming into this country and realizing the society is uh, more conservative and your views kind of align. And I, okay, that makes sense because obviously when you came in, I think there was still a conservative government, right? But do you not feel the education system, obviously, with the conservative power, they're going to have their, you know, um, conservative friendly or uh, their syllabus, like for even university education, it's going to be more um, towards uh, more favorable and more biased towards the conservative conservative views. Um, and today, in for example, in social media, we see like there's complete opposites of that guys guys like myself who have studied economics at a university right we know we get taught about all this ca capitalism stuff we get you know when it comes to like you know profit and competition international trade and all that we get taught about um you know conservative friendly uh policies the free market yeah all that yeah but you see on social media people have even these graduated um students who have studied in conservative friendly syllabuses and education they've got the loyalty towards like the left right their views are more inclined towards the left so i mean it, how does that come about like you study one thing and you you know you excel at it but your you know your morals and your views they're aligned more towards the other party it could be to, from your parents but i mean is there is there more to that i think there is a combination of uh, many things uh and I wouldn't necessarily say that the syllabus is designed specifically to support one side or the other, but it, it is definitely designed to sort of um, promote the status quo. So free market economics, that's what we've had. Uh, free market economics, neoliberal policies, that's what we had for since the Second World War. That's where that's the direction that at least Western countries have been pushing towards. And if you look at organizations like the IMF, 
they bullied developing countries into adopting it. So you look at South Korea and all these countries and through the use of central banks, they've essentially bullied some of these countries to say, okay, no, you're going to follow the path that we follow. And then many of these countries ended up losing control of their economy because of this. And these loyalties, I, I believe it comes from, we've gotten to a point in which people no longer... I don't want to say, say it. Sort of pay <laughs> pay attention, but in which people no longer use their head. We've become such followers. We had Sheeps. a period. The yeah. early two thousands, it was to me the late, you know, nineteen nineties and the early two thousands. For me, it was a period of enlightenment. People were awakening. People were asking questions. They were researching. They were doing this, finding out information for themselves to make up their mind. I think we've completely I moved away from it and we just and yeah. social media plays exactly, plays a key role. Say. It's like I've found myself a lot of the times, yeah, having uh argument not arguments, but debates with people, discussions, talking about certain policies and this other. And you can give them all the facts, the evidence. And they'll say, Oh no, but I'm thinking, oh no, nothing. The evidence is there. Like, well Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you trying to contest? This is the evidence. And if you look at during the Brexit campaign, where there were conservative MPs, um, I think it was he, um, Michael Gove, who said that people are tired of experts. <laughs> I was like, I'm not tired of experts. I mean, if someone has been in a field for 20, 30 years and has consistently been able to provide evidence for whatever claims they were making and we were able to check those evidence and see it in everything and you know experience and history tells us that this is the case why would i question that yeah why would i deny the evidence that's standing in front of me yeah just th- to support my candidate but and I wouldn't think that evidence, is the key problem wouldn't the evidence support their views whether they were labor or conservative wouldn't that evidence be found to support what they believe in rather than what's actually fact no but we that's, see a lot that's of the that. thing there is many ways to interpret evidence okay especially with statistics. Uh, economic statistics there are many ways to interpret it but we've got into the point in which you p- can present it the best way you can like the there are certain statistics that uh you know essentially black and white that is there and there is no way to twist it and people will still find a way to that to say oh but no it is this i mean donald yeah. trump how many times i mean <laughs> over 10,000 lies in his first 100 days yeah i think people and people uh, still find a way to um, i mean um the other day i was watching this video on facebook uh where there was an old guy in the u.s uh sat in a golf car near a round um near a road and he had some signs uh kind of uh against trump and everything he's a liar he's this this other and this lady went to confront him and say oh what he what has he lied about i think he what do you mean? What has he lied about? Yeah, it's so. I I don't understand how we've gotten to the point in which people can deny evidence so blatantly. Like I, think, I could, uh, I could yeah. give you, literally, I could take now, give you my phone. Yeah, it's on camera. Yeah, and then you go and give an interview and say he never gave me his phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think he is some video. I know, I know. I think people, because um, you know, like, I think Trump's got one of the highest uh, Twitter followings, to, uh, the number of Twitter followers for a political uh, person. Yeah. Um, I think people see these uh, leaders nowadays as celeb kind of like celebrities yeah, and, and, and reality that's, and that's a stars. big problem that we've allowed politics to become a personality context yeah 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 because uh, it thought, was mainly uh, in the US it wasn't so bad in the UK but now he's got into that point and Boris Johnson in my opinion he got elected because of his personality yeah yeah, yeah. you know the, the if you see how he presents himself and everything yeah. it's not by chance he he knows what he's doing and yeah, yeah. you know but, he's but got into the point where on the other we look at the personality yeah. more than we look at the actual substance and a lot of i think a lot of people in the last uh, general election a lot of people voted for boris because they dislike uh jeremy corbyn that yeah. much see that's what i find strange because on the other complex you've got jeremy corbyn who seems like a very likable guy and if you look at the general british public they've not likened him like they've sort of despised him especially in the recent But elections that, just that's the thing up. that's the thing um i think one mistake that the labor party has done and uh, the sort of immediate team surrounding uh, jeremy corbyn is that what they failed to realize is that to win elections you need to attract everybody so jeremy corbyn is very popular within the l sort Younger. of more left leaning side of uh, the labor party but What you forget is that England is a very conservative country. So just because he's popular within the people who are going to agree with him anyways, it doesn't mean that when you take that argument to the general population, it's going to be likable because there is a lot of people who wouldn't have chosen Boris Johnson, but they looked at the options they had and he's Corbyn or Johnson and they said, <laughs> I would have I'm, taken Corbyn there. I'm like, going with Johnson. But John that's the thing. Most people in, in England uh, would have gone with Boris Johnson. And one thing that he... Because Boris Johnson was able to tell lies and, you know, people just let it get over their head. Why? Because Medium, presented man. with the two personalities... They prefer to go with um, Boris But also, Johnson. They, they liked his... Um, we saw, like, we know uh, Boris Johnson, homophobic, racist, quite a few other things, right? And um, the public, they basically ignored that or the media didn't enhance it as enough as they did with, like, Corbyn's allegations and accusations and what he's done in the past, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, yeah, we, we saw the power of media in that as well. And... So, and Boris Johnson, um, you have to give him credit that he presented and played the game much better than Jeremy Corbyn. Um, this is one thing that uh, I've realized uh, since Trump got elected and now with Boris Johnson is that nobody cares about the truth if, they li if a lie is more entertaining. Yes. We live in an entertainment era. Whoever yeah. can entertain me the most, that's the person I'm going to support. And it, it is true. No one cares about the truth as long as the lie is more entertaining. My, my main question for you, yeah, is... If someone, so I know you for a while, yeah, for a few years, but for someone who didn't and they met you for the first time, especially around uni and your views online on Facebook and stuff like that, they would have described you as an ardent Tory, yeah? So what made you, and 
And you know when we were talking about Brexit and I was like, I wanted to invite you and our Somali brother on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I lost my trail of thought now. But um, yeah, we wanted to invite him on. Um, but then you told me at that point that recently you've come away from those conservative views and you feel like you can't really connect with those views anymore. The policies, they were all the same, but what made you... Yeah, it's, it's not necessary. Um, well, let me start with, I don't like being called a Tory. Okay, yeah, Because I don't consider myself a Tory. I'm a conservative, not a Tory. So what's the difference? Uh, to me, um, the difference is that a Tory is someone who is pro-hardline with the Conservative Party. Me, my ideology is conservative, but uh, it's not necessarily tied in with the Conservative Party. So there will be there are things that we within the Conservative Party that I agree with, and there are things that I disagree with. And I think that one of the difference we um not to sort of uh not not to beat my own ego is that I'm able to separate the two. That I'm not scared if the Conservative Party comes with a policy, and I disagree with it, I'm not going to go okay because it's a party policy i'm going to support it no i'm going yeah, to say yeah. this is nonsense i'm no i'm no you know getting behind this because i don't believe in it and i think uh within the conservative party and also the labor party and uh, you know pretty much all political parties they lost the the sort of the connection with their ideology and we've gotten to the point in which you follow the party and not actually the ideology and that's why people like um Boris Johnson and Donald Trump are able to get into power because people have lost that ability to say, okay, let me look at the facts and make a decision based on that. And with me is that if I'm presented with two candidates, uh, one is conservative in my local area, the, the, the Labour candidate comes with policies that I agree more and views that I agree more, I'm going to support him. I might still be part of the Conservative Party, but mm. I'm going to support that candidate because he's saying the things that I believe in. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the ex-Prime uh, Ministers like Tony Blair, who are Labour, um, you know, like Ed Miliband and David Miliband even, they kind of spoke out against Jeremy Corbyn, even though he's Labour, some of his policies, they just didn't sit right with them. Exactly, and I think the problem is that it seems like people are not able to do those things anymore. And to me, that's very, very dangerous because that's how essentially tyrants race to power. Uh, it's, it's, I think I think it's absolutely crazy what the state of politics today, you know, where we've gotten from where we were 15, 20 years ago. I mean, after I mean, I mean uh, an example would be like in Rome, uh, the big Colosseum where they made the gladiators fight and stuff. That was all for to entertain the public so that they would side with the leader who was seen as a tyrant so they he made the coliseum distracted them and then they they sort of uh fled to him they, they basically was on his side yeah, so it's, and sometimes it's a similar sort of uh, and sometimes he feels like parliament is becoming that, <laughs> <laughs> pretty yeah, yeah. much and that's and that that's another thing that worries me is that if you look at parliament now with boris johnson's majority uh, majority i'm very concerned that He's got a majority now and a lot of the uh, new MPs that have come in the Conservative Party, when I've heard him speaking and everything, it 
it almost feels like he's a cult of Boris Johnson. I don't see anyone there that's actually going to properly challenge, you know, his leadership and say, when you're wrong, you're wrong. I feel like he he's he's got a cult around bro- him that are going yeah. to agree with everything they say. And his brother left it, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And see, that's we need more people like his brother because yeah. I'm sure it takes a lot for you to have to publicly denounce your brother and say, you know, I think he his heart is not in the, in, in the right place. It takes a lot. Yeah. Regardless of what people think, it's not easy to publicly come and say, you know, I don't believe in my brother. Because naturally, even even when I've got disagreements with uh, with my siblings, I'm, I I always want to support them. Yeah. I always want to be there for them. So I can only imagine how hard making that decision for him, especially before uh, before an election. Do you think that Boris Johnson is um, like a sociopath? Like his tendencies to like the way he talks and the words he uses and the way he um the way he convinces the public um i I wouldn't say a sociopath because uh from what I know of Boris Johnson is that that all to me is calculated. I don't think he's uh you know a out of uh chance I don't think that it's just something that suddenly comes to his head and he dashes it out i think boris johnson is someone who is very intelligent and he knows very well what he's doing and he's find a formula um that works and he's sticking to it um but do you think his end like his uh that's his method of doing things but do you think his where his heart is do you think it's like very personal to him is he trying to make his career or like I think his up. end his end goal is power um with most politicians I think um that is something for me that's been apparent to uh of Boris Johnson all along someone that craves power and he knew how to get it and he, he put went a plan. about it yeah. impeccably man cuz I mean he has he's probably the only politician in the UK that can survive you know 90% of the stuff that he's survived because yeah, yeah, let's yeah. not forget, he got fired from a newspaper for lying. Um, he had to resign from Parliament in the back because he was the uh, MP in the past. He was the MP for Henley on Thames, which includes sort of areas of um, mm-hmm. Wheatley, where I used to live, yeah, included yeah. Wheat, um, Wheatley. So he well, uh, the um, where he lied to the Queen apparently, um, and yeah, with the whole Brexit thing. Yeah, most politicians in England would not survive all that. And it's yeah. just the way he's marketed himself. He is a brilliant personality in the sense that he knows how to appeal to people. Mm. He knows how to rally people. He knows how to get support. And he's, he's gone about it the perfect John, way. And now he's sorry. prime minister with, a, with the biggest conservative majority since Margaret Thatcher. Okay. So, Jonathan, what's your uh, Instagram? Uh, it's jbarsena23. Okay, I've been typing Jonathan. Okay, you guys can carry on. Um, do you have an example of a candidate, UK, well, in America or the UK, who you think is or or has been doing it right? In in what way? What do you mean by right? Like whose heart is in the right place, and also they can play the game, like so they they can get people behind them, but their heart is in the right place. 
David Miliband. If he if he came into power instead of Ed, yeah, or if he ran for the power instead of Ed, we'd be sitting in the Labour Labour government today. It's funny enough you say that because I totally believe that. I think um, he's the he's the kind of person that will get me to wholeheartedly support the Labour Party. Were you there when we went to uh, Ed's talk? Uh, I think David was there as well. In, yeah, yeah. Um, what school Ed was Bowles. it? What school was it, man? Uh, uh, Cherwell. Cherwell School. Yeah, yeah. When we went we, for yeah. our economics talk, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. the economics teacher, Ed Bowles was there and everything. Um, oh, gosh. I remember asking <laughs> asking him a question, which he, he never he never really answered. Uh, That's we politicians talking, for you. Yeah, we, we were talking <laughs> about the, the housing crisis. But um, coming back to what you said, I don't think current politicians now... Um, no. I think there is one politician uh, in the US that I particularly like and I'm very I'm very very interested who, who is it to see um okay so I'm going to mention two mm-hmm. to answer your question one that I think his heart is in the right place and he's playing the game moderately well mm-hmm. I would say Bernie Sanders yes okay uh but Pete Boutique is that is that yeah yeah yeah. i I love listening to the guy um i get excited when he's talking have you heard of um andrew yang and yeah uh with his um the universal income yeah 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 yeah, that's ambitious but he's his numbers are adding up his numbers are adding up. yeah which is hard to find in politics his numbers are adding up and um yeah that's another one however I don't think the US is ready for that kind of policies yet. Yeah. The, really? the, let's remember that the US is they the word socialism socialism is a dirty word in the US. But the thing is um he's not actually cuz like uh, a lot of people think that socialism works 100% of the time people on the left they always think that it 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 works for everybody. Um but from uh, countries like um Lebanon and other socialist countries we've seen where that socialism has kind of turned into tyranny and um, murder and stuff. Um, It doesn't, I don't think it always works, but what he, what Andrew Yang is uh, saying um, about the data and AI and all these new things that are in our generation and uh, you know, that, that companies use and stuff and taxing data and all these sort of newer policies and the numbers he's coming out with, um, I think it's 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 socialism, but I think it's like realistic and it's um, it, it's keeping the money in uh, free market socialism. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. But the the thing with Andrew Yang is that he's, he's someone I've looked into. It. Um, a lot of the his policies make sense. Um, I think um, he is uh, ahead of the game in the sense that he's thinking about the things that are going to define society in the years to come, when um, a lot of candidates are not. Uh, Cannot I cannot li- even understand I that mean, at this time. Yeah, I, I like Bernie, but I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but he's quite old. Like <laughs> he could easily come into power and like kick the bucket. That's the same with Corbyn. <clears throat> I know. <laughs> it's unfortunate. I mean I, but, but but that's that's why you have the you have a vice president and you elect your cabinet, is that getting people around you that will essentially maintain share the same vision as you and be able to follow the message that you have for the country 
And oh, is that well, what is that is that what happens? So, like a vice president. Yeah, if they if the president it goes, uh, if anything happens to the president, then the vice, pre- sorry, the vice president takes over, and then he elects another vice president. Um, yeah, he would elect another vice president. So, if the um, president and the vice president something happens to them at the same time, then I think it goes to someone the the speaker of the senate or the speaker of the house of the representative takes over is they they have a whole right, sort okay. of line right. of if something happened to this person this person takes over if, and so so there right. is plenty of people there that the president puts in those places that will take over in case of anything happening to the president so um but to come back to andrew yang um the thing is the things he's talking about um, it's mainly the older generation that votes and that is yeah. the same in the US than it is here in the UK and the things that he's talking about the older generation don't understand it Yeah. and I think whether he'll have success or not will be determined on how effectively he's able to mobilize the younger vote yeah because young people get it yeah 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 I mean I but yeah what we've seen is that here in the UK as well, it seems that in every election, someone comes along, gets us excited. Yeah. Uh, some of us get excited and then come election day, we that, don't go out to vote. That, that, that's a world trend, yeah. actually, because even if you look at um, our motherland, Pakistan, right, we've got an influential reader, uh, leader in Imran Khan and he's um, a lot of his policies resonate with the younger generation, right? And the younger people, they effectively elected him into power. But what the older people aren't understanding, like, say, uh, our parents or our uncles or um, older than them, they're not understanding the reform he's trying to bring. And they don't they don't I think they feel like, okay, we might die soon. But within the next five years, he's doing these things that are going to impact us. Uh, on a short-term basis but and yeah. they're not able to see the longer-term picture because they don't see themselves within yeah. that picture I, and i think um an element of that is that um i believe no offense to any you know older generation out there but <laughs> i think that the older generation is only able to learn and take in information up to i think this is the same for everybody and it will be the case uh, for us in 2030 40 years that they're only able to take information and adapt to the world up to a certain age yeah. after that age whatever is in their head that's how they look at everything yeah. they're all a lot more resistant to change yeah. than us guys and i are. think and i think that's 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 one of the problems that they not able to see the world with new eyes to see that okay we're not where we were when you were 20 years old is a, it's a different era um the world is completely different so and and that's why i think um for example here in the uk that's why i think uh the brexit vote happened because although young people we we're looking at um when we look at the world we're looking at big transnational organizations so we look at the eu and for most young people you do have the young people who take uh, the you know a different approach and they look at the nation state whilst most young people i will argue look at those big trade organizations you know taking down uh borders i think partially uh, brexit was the young people's 
fault as well because we felt so confident in in um, not getting Brexit is we, we didn't, didn't show up to vote. We didn't show up, and that's that's one thing that uh, which is why you can't really fully blame the older generation because at the end of the day it's us not showing up to vote yeah um it's us not you know you going there to there the were, polls if there was like ads that were targeted towards um the younger generation um you know like the new sort of new hip kind of ads to and educate them to actually vote and this is what can happen um, and this is how it will it we saw quite a bit of that on social media this time but the thing with social media is like we're following those people and we're with okay so if i'm if i'm more lean if i'm leaning towards corbyn right i'm following people that support corbyn i'm not seeing what's going on in the other party so what the ads they're running this that the other true true but i'm i'm going to argue that for us young people is that i don't think um adverts are very effective I think that politicians need to find a different way to yeah. get through to us because yeah, yeah. we are coming with a different mentality because we've seen all the lies. Mm. Coming up, we've seen all the lies. And we already have this skeptical view of the political class that you're all a bunch of liars. Mm-hmm. So I think um, for <laughs> me, a lot of the times I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook and I see advert, political adverts come through and, and most of the time, most of the time, what goes to my head, and this is from all political parties, including the Conservative Party, is like, pardon my French, bullshit, nonsense, <laughs> absolute nonsense, what you're talking about. And so, for example, so uh, someone like me, you can't, as a politician, you can't target me with adverts on social media because I have a very sceptical view mm-hmm. and my first thought is going to be, you throw a statistic at me, I'm going to mm-hmm. say, okay, where does that come from? But who, we know who, an example. We know an example of an advert that was really effective, and that's that bus, the three hundred fifty yeah, million sure. pound bus. But that's the thing; it, it did not, not with young people. I don't think it was effective with young uh, people. I, I, I don't know about it. <laughs> you know, Bruh, so the, 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 the big red the bus, the leave said, campaign with the big red bus that said, said three hundred and fifty yeah. million a week for the NHS if we leave the EU. Oh, okay. I saw another one where. Um, Another bus which uh, said two billion a day. Uh, apparently, yeah. that's this. Yeah, I'm, I've seen that figure somewhere before. This yeah. one, the uh, three fifty one, was for the NHS. So the NH- the money yeah. we're given to the EU is going to be put towards NHS. Yeah, yeah. I that, think they, they uh, well, they're saying in total it's gonna. It's in the. It's in like one point something trillion. It's gonna cost um, us to get out of out of the um, EU. So they've, that's probably an average. Um, um, I don't think it's going to be that high. To be honest, I, I don't think there's going to be much change because um, Britain's been part of the EU for over 40 years. 40 years of trade and uh, sort of doing business together. It's, it's, it's really hard to separate. Like sometimes, you know, if you look at moving out of uni when you finish your degree, You've been there for three years, and I I used the example of when I was when I finished my undergrad and I was moving out. When I went to uni, to me it felt like I only had a few bags. Leaving my university accommodation to move mm. back home, I was thinking, where does all this extra stuff <laughs> yeah, coming yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's I think that we we can look at Brexit that way. 
40 if after three years i had so much extra after 40 years and we're talking about countries not you know individuals moving out of university we're talking about countries leaving trading blocks where we're really connected so it wasn't just that okay we both have a membership card or a card of the gym and i just have to cancel my membership card no it's my laws were part of your law there's so much that mm. needs to be separated even that, creating that n- new policy is going to take yeah. a while yeah exactly uh, uh, and uh, uh, that's the thing 40 years ago where british law was yeah british society is completely is completely different to what it was there so are we just going to go back to what they were 40 years ago and can those laws really fit the society that we're in today because i you think know, i think a lot a of lot. the because i work with software and a lot of the stuff around data we have to get signed off from like if the data centers are in europe gdpr and all these different things you know laws where data can be held and as you know like now data is like the biggest thing for companies you know data in the cloud or, or exactly wherever. and there's legislation and laws around it so it's a lot of uh shifting of not just like for example locally the bmw or whatever going to your back to europe or whatever it's it's um it's, it's untangible things like data that we that are things that are going to have to be shifted um unless exactly. they unless they can come up with i don't know some kind of deal or whatever do you still have your dream of becoming an mp I still want to go into full-time politics in the future. Um, at the moment, I think I'm keeping my distance from politics in the sense that I think it's, it's very messy at the Are moment you, in the sense yeah. that it's almost like a cult of personalities. Are you rewiring yourself? Yeah. So, what, I'm, I'm, what, what do you do uh, like for a living? Uh, I do a lot of things. <laughs> so... Um, well, once uh, I'm finishing my master's degree, um, so um, technically I'm I'm still a student, uh, international law, ethics and politics, um, which also had impacted um, the way, see, the, the more you learn, um, it, it will have an influence in what, how you see the world. So, um, but yeah, in terms of my professional experience is mainly centered around finance and compliance Mm -hmm. so uh within the education sector so um uh, i was a compliance coordinator for a a education institution uh here in oxford uh which sort of it was quite an experience in the sense that um it got you to look at things um it made me realize how much closer we are to the EU in terms of the different cases that were coming on my desk every day, looking at different things like European law. And I realized that a lot of these projects in education, you know, they were funded through the European Union. And I'm thinking, okay, what's going to be the impact to these projects? Because a lot of them, I do feel, make a huge difference for many young people and uh, sort of uh, many people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And is the UK government going to protect those provisions? So um, it was kind of, and that's one thing, because initially I was for Brexit in a sense that, but not for the reasons that most people were 
for Brexit. So um, let me expand on that quickly. So my my reason, my initial reason for supporting Brexit is that at the time of the referendum, I was uh, doing my undergraduate dissertation, okay. and I was doing research on the resource curse, which is um, this notion that countries, um, developing countries, uh, especially in Africa seem to get worse once they discover vast reserves of natural resources instead of better you will think okay you've now discovered a pot of gold um you've got money coming in you you will expect things to get better uh but somehow it it goes downhill after the money starts coming in so i was doing research into that and trying to find out you know what are the reasons why Oh, so it, so it actually happens. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, right. it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, academic literature on that. Um, it's a very interesting topic. I mean, I'm so glad I did my dissertation in that because uh, you know, doing research for that was an eye opener, and I absolutely loved it. Can you uh, share some was, of your that, findings? Um, I think I think that should be another podcast, man. It should, because that's <laughs> hey. a really big topic. Uh, that's quite interesting, actually. Because if you if you look at um, let me use the example of the the country i was born in equatorial guinea which is um i think stands at the third largest producer of um uh, oil in sub-saharan africa i mean the country makes enough money to give everyone in the country at least a hundred grand a year just from oil That's crazy. so how do you explain any level of poverty in a country like that if you if you can convince Ahmed to come on and we can both have a chat on that, that, yeah, that, that, that is absolutely. Really, really good I, I would love to. It's, it's something. Honestly, I, I encourage everyone out there to to look into it because he's 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 very he's yeah. an eye opener. Africa can, fascinates me, man. And and plus we can relate to it as well because in Pakistan we've got like really big um, gas reserves. It's it's also known as the Dutch disease. Dutch. I've heard oh, the Dutch this disease. Because the first um, time that it was kind of picked up by the academics, um, it was um, during uh, when it happened in Holland. So Do, Holland. Does it have anything to do with at a very high level? I'm not trying to uh, go into details, but does it have anything to do with um, those oil reserves? Are they who owns them? The country or companies uh, or? So for many of them, it, it should be the country because mm -hmm. if the oil industry is owned by the government, it should be the country. Yeah. Um, but in occasions, you will find that it's also owned by, you know, multinational oil corporations. Mm. Um, you know, and the thing is with the with the resource curse is that uh, as I was doing research, I looked into, uh, you know, I I did not expect to see. I thought I'm just going to look at these countries, look at the natural resources and what they're doing with the natural resources. But then a lot of things, as I was doing research, okay, this is coming into it, that is coming into it, the EU is coming into it. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. And that's one of the things that led me to support the, the Leave campaign to start with. Because uh, where's, where's the correlation? Um, in one of the things is that he, in one of the papers, um, he, he brought up the EU and he looked at sort of trade uh, policy between African countries and the European Union, and it made me realize that okay, the European Union is absolutely fantastic for European countries, and they able to use their bargaining power to essentially exploit these uh, these countries. And you know, I was 
okay, that doesn't seem right. Uh, you know, these developing countries in you're pretending to give a helping hand when in reality what you're doing is, is, is abusing them. You yeah. you give him with one hand, but you take him with three other. Mm. Yeah. Um. One thing, one of the things that I found uh, is that a lot of, uh, for example, um, coffee, uh, coffee products. So if African countries export uh, raw coffee beans uh, to the European Union, is tariff free. So we can sell uh, raw coffee beans to the European Union uh, for free. And when in its raw state, it's, it's quite cheap. You're not getting as much money as you could be getting. However, if an African country was to have their own factories and they process that coffee and make it into the products that we drink here, that you know we buy in the supermarket, there is a tariff on it. So by the time it gets to Europe, it's more expensive. We're able to compete less. So, so does, that, does that mean that it's more beneficial for the the countries? Yeah, it's more beneficial for the European countries. Oh right. Okay. So yeah. you, if you look I at see. there were, okay. I'm not going to mention names, but there were European. There is one European country who was making um, in one year, he made more money from the sale of coffee products than the whole of Africa. And well, coffee I mean, mainly comes from Africa. So you thinking. What's going on? Hmm. That's. It's, uh, I mean, and they those, could say those kind of those, 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 that was kind of my motivation for supporting the Leave campaign at first. But as I was going to sort of rallies and talks, I started realize that the conversation was really nasty, and it was centered around one thing: uh, some sort of dislike of immigrants and some of the. The language that was being used, I wasn't comfortable with this. I had to take a step back. So although I don't think Brexit is necessarily a complete disaster for the UK, I think the motivation mm. and the way around it, and a lot of politicians uh, thought, you know what, let's ride with it. Um, it gets the job done. We might not believe in it, but they're not thinking about the impact that that's going to have into this, in society. Mm. I mean, I think... Do you think that's fueling right-wing extremism? Absolutely. People are, uh, because they now found a platform. They now found a, 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 a voice. sort of a public, uh, you know, a public representative yes. that's going to, you know, back them. Well, if the president if they, of the United States is saying these things, it's okay for me to say. And it makes it worse because our allies in America, they've got that similar voice. It's like, on my, on my way here, I was uh, I was reading this article about a Labour MP, Yvette, um, I think Yvette Cooper, who received um, threats from a councillor, a Conservative councillor on her constituency, which uh, was then a Conservative MP gave, saying that, oh, um, I'm organising, something like I'm organising get her getting hurt. You will be surprised what uh, a crackhead would do for £100. So is it is, is this something that is like is there action being taken against that? Uh, they they took it to court. Um, so obviously he got taken to court. Um, I haven't finished the article, okay. so I can't give you the whole the whole details. But what surprised me is that as I was reading um, up to where I read, it claims that there is a conservative MP that gave this individual, in light of all of this, a character reference. To use ah. in court. 
Right, and I'm okay. thinking, this tribal behavior in politics that I was talking about, about uh, at the beginning, the cult of Boris Johnson and yeah, the fact yeah, that yeah, yeah. people are more loyal to the party leader and the party than, you know, to their own ideologies. I'm thinking, here is one of your colleagues. Fair enough, she's from an opposing party. But here is one of your colleagues being essentially threatened with physical harm by someone yeah. in your party a counsellor is not just a supporter is a counsellor or or might be a council uh, candidate and you feel comfortable giving him a character reference to use in court like let's just say if i was a conservative mp you're a labor mp and i don't know akibi say a conservative counsellor and he makes threats towards you um saying that uh, he's, he's organizing for you to get hurt and everything. And then you take it to court and the court requests the character reference and Akib comes to me for a character reference. If I know he's been sending you threatening messages, I'm not giving him that character reference. Yeah, It's absolutely not happening. And, and I'm going as do, far yeah. as going public to say, I think what Akib is doing is disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sending you threats. I mean, like, we see we, regardless we, of yeah. what party, because we see this in um in like uh, uh, third world countries back home, uh, with the pre with the previous government. Say, for example, if they were like a friend of yours or something, stuff slides under the carpet a lot in 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 those kind of governments and stuff. And this is like a uh, a Western country. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's a bit weird that um. Is it front? Is it is it uh, front page news? Is, it sounds like it's something a, that um, should be. It should be, news. but it's not. It, it, I really I mean, had well, to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's Tory had media, to dig right? in a lot to get. I think it was uh, the BBC. Yeah, it, it was on the BBC. Bro, these things they won't make the media. They you have to dig in. No, yeah, but I, I was I was so shocked as I was reading the article there, thinking, wow, you feel comfortable giving mm. this individual a character reference. When he's been sending threats to another member of parliament, that's like some some gang physical gang harm, like some gangster sh stuff. Yeah, but it? then you look at Boris Johnson, and uh, at the time where um, someone asked him to get the details of a journalist, um, to because the a journalist was writing about a, sir, a friend of Boris Johnson, and he wanted the address of that journalist, um, of presumably to organize for that journalist to get hurt. And uh, he, he looked like Boris Johnson was sympathetic towards that. And, you know, he was willing to give up the address. Wow, man. Like, so it's, 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 it's crazy. I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the yeah. tree. And <clears throat> it scares me that this is where politics is at today. I think it's absolutely crazy. In 2008, we were electing black people into the White House. Mm. In 2020... I mean, look at uh, a president that have clearly messed up are getting a free ride and they're able to move, remove people who testified against them. I think um, our generation, they really need to look into policies more, less tweets, less tweets from presidents and stuff, more policies and what the actual, like, yeah. like, like you were saying, I don't believe, I don't think there can actually be a left and a right, like, like crips and bloods it's not it's it's not that black and white i think there is like not just a middle ground but a middle ground of a middle ground like it depends on where you're you know where where it lies um so i think people should be looking into these things you i, know, I like, think it is that sheep culture because you only really see people come alive 
around the time there's an election or there's a major decision yeah. like Brexit. Um, so the average person, like even myself, was probably not aware on a lot of the policies. And because we see so much hype around it, we're like essentially forced into having an opinion around that time, around that occasion where there's a major change uh, to happen economically. Um, that 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 probably needs to change. Um, yeah, and I think that's why... Uh you know, let, let me congratulate you guys on, on the podcast because um, I, I've been following some of it. Um, I struggle on the parts where you speak in Pakistani. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the English parts I've been following. And I think yeah, those things are, are, are necessary. We need to engage uh, young people even more in the sense that it needs to be an all year round effort, not just come election time. It needs to be all around because I think in Partly, young people are to blame for uh, the situation that politics is in today because we've been very sort of, ah, it's not a problem. We don't care about this. And that's why it has let the older generation to get on with it yeah. without any consideration of what we want and where we want things to go. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why we ended up where we are today. Yeah. And it would take a lot of engagement to start changing that, to start yeah. getting young people more active. And De definitely, we have to realize that uh, on online, especially and on social media, the a lot of say you, you see tweets, right? People tweet to clout chase. They tweet to get retweets to you know build up their own profile, not necessarily being an activist for that party or that the, or those policies if there are people that are actually concerned about these policies they'd be the ones you know on the road getting involved in marches or actually speaking outside to the general public yeah make, they make understand it, that not everyone's online yeah you you need to make an effort because let me use the example of facebook um a few years back, I, I started to join different groups on Facebook to um, sort of political debate groups uh, on Facebook. And I tried to join a varied one, not just uh, those who would agree with conservatives. And, and um, I joined one which absolutely shocked me that some of the stuff that was coming on there, like I was thinking, bloody hell, who has these views? It's, it's crazy and what I found is that as much as I tried to find a balance um, there was one dominant ideology in those groups and uh, you know uh, they, there's one group that you, they will find a way to justify anything Donald Trump does uh, they, they will find a way Donald Trump could Fans, I mean, listen Donald Trump could kill a baby and they will still find a way to justify it it's yeah. that bad it was crazy and I started, and it got me thinking, like, how can you create, engage these, you know, people who are so extreme, and the same with the left. I mean, some of the, um, some of the left-wing groups, and you look at the stuff they put in there, and think, now what's <laughs> going on here? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and I've and, and it got me thinking, how can we bring those two extremes to the table to have a productive debate. And, you know, it's really hard because we have now politicians at both streams promoting those views. Yeah. So if the people at the top are saying these things, how, um, you know, promoting, pushing this agenda, how can we hope to be able to bring, you know, 
uh, the average citizen who shares those views, how how are we going to be able to bring them to the table to have a you know constructive discussion on on the different topics? Yeah. Because I've I've had discussions uh, with people where at first they they came and said, "Oh no, you you you're conservative." Blah blah blah. We sat down for half an hour talking and say. You know, I I agree with a lot of things you say. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I said, well, because we we made the effort to sit together and actually, exactly. so, because a lot of the engaged. times we go with the headline of the political party, and I and I think that's the problem because each side is looking at the political party, they're not looking at the people, yeah. the ideology. I mean, I'm sure you must have had uh, people say to you like, "How can you be uh, supportive of the conservative?" party as a as a black person yeah absolutely yeah. many times but they haven't engaged with they you. haven't They'll just look at you say oh it's a black guy and he's a tory yeah he's I th- sold I think out w- one thing that i really don't like is when you have some um I'd, uh, you, you know you have an ideology or some thoughts that you just put on the table and they get shut off immediately because they're um completely don't agree with the right or the left they're like somewhere in the middle and people basically start putting labels on them yeah so then you can't further that discussion and um it kind of limits um younger people to like what they can express and what they can put on the table for discussion i mean it's a free country i would have thought that you could put anything on the table for discussion yeah but i don't think in this climate i don't think that's the case yeah exactly and um I'll refer you back to I don't know if you remember back in school uh, those very heated debates that used to have with Ahmed. Yeah, you know, and literally we would be trying to have a debate, a discussion on different aspects of politics, and we'll constantly speak over each other, shut each other down, and the first time we actually listen to each other, we're like, oh. <laughs> we we, we kind of saying the that, same thing. We agree <laughs> with each other. That's all I was about and to I ask was like, you. you know, and I was like, well, that's what's going on in the wider society. Yeah. Have you ever agreed with anything? To each other. Have um, you ever agreed with anything on Ahmed? On yeah, we share a lot of uh, similar views. That that's the funny thing. Yeah. But we never actually stopped and listened to each other. But bro, <laughs> the first time we did that, we we're like, okay, we're saying the same thing. We have a we vary a little on how to get to those things, but essentially the message is the same. Yeah, and I think that's what the that's one of the main problems with the current political climate. Yeah. But I think that's part we're not of, listening that's, to each other. That's the cycle of life as well, bro. No, at but, that age, but I think it's because in the wider at that age is 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 normal. But I think in the wider society is because. We're looking at the headlines of, okay, what are the headlines coming from the poli- uh, Conservative Party? Mm. What are the headlines coming from the Labour Party? Mm. And we're just standing in front of each other looking at those bright headlines when, okay, there might be someone behind those headlines with a- a- another different message saying, okay, um, this is what I believe in. I'm, I'm on this camp, but I believe in this. And we know we're not doing exactly. that. Exactly. You'll be able to have fruitful discussions when you develop your wisdom. Exactly. And that comes with age, but also comes with interest. So you know what I was saying about people only being interested in politics around the time of, you know, elections and stuff like that. Um, if people were more interested, you know, year round, they'll have those discussions. And, and it needs to be, regular I, I, think, I think it needs to be made more relatable in the sense that a lot of the politi- a lot of the people in parliament don't look like us. So it's really it's really hard to engage and be drawn in by people who don't look like you, especially when 
you hear in the headlines and it's almost like they coming after you you're thinking whoa it's, it's crazy why would i want to listen to this uh, middle-aged white man that is talking about um, immigration is a bad thing yeah that's true that's true and it's about finding you know a way to make politics relate to people because it, mean, it yeah. influence our future so it's about finding a way to making it relate to people making parliament relate to people because um for me i'm a rare case i've I enjoy sitting there listening to question times. I enjoy sitting there listening to um, um, prime minister's questions and other political debates, listening to the news. Um, I would sit down and listen to a two-hour podcast where Obama is speaking about different things. But most young people, they don't want to sit there and listen to Obama yeah. talk about this and that and this other for two hours. I, 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 so I enjoy, it. I enjoy it myself. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's about finding a way to make it relatable because we need to realize that not all of us you know not all of us are, have that immediate interest how do we present the message in a way that is attractive to those uh other young people because i feel me, like people just feel powerless so there's a lot of policies that will affect me but my single voice feels powerless see I, i will bring you back to something my mom always used to tell me is that if you if you think you're too small to make a difference try sleeping in a closed room with a fly it's annoying you're gonna hear that all over you can't sleep so you're never too small to make a difference because um obama once said that uh, never underestimate the power of millions of people calling for change So you might be one, but if you get enough people to rally around 100%, you, you know, yeah. never yeah. underestimate the power of millions of people like calling you know, for change. You know, you know, when you mentioned the thing about the um, coffee beans and stuff from your country, yeah, the immediate thought that came to my head, like the, this image that came to my head is if there was a way, you know, if a bunch of people uh, got together and they said, we want, um, you know, uh, un, you, you said there was some kind of uh, tariffs. tariffs on it. Yeah. Um, if there was a more ethical trade with African countries and with the oil, you know, with the oil that you mentioned in your country as well, I think it only takes, because um, it's such a small country, See, it, it will um, only take such a small uh, yeah, amount. Yeah, there, is, there are yeah. some conservative uh, politicians, um, which, uh, for example, people like Andrew Mitchell, who, to me, um, have their heart in the right place and they say the right things in the sense that um, one of the things that he prevails uh, one of the big messages within the conservative party when it comes to uh, developing countries which although they throw it out there like a big statement not many of them believe in it uh, but those who do believe in it i i think their heart is in the right place when they said uh, you know this country these countries need trade not aid mm. because that aid often yeah. comes so in the form exactly. of those loans tariffs and with consequences those unfavorable tariffs that you're talking about in the eyes of the eu are they not it's encouraging protect, trade is to protect eu countries because but are they not encouraging trade from africa where there would be no trade anyway but this is the thing let's say um you i'm producing telephones here in the uk uh here in africa we producing telephones and i'm producing the telephones at a cheap price and you see and i want to sell them in europe 
So you, what you're saying is that, but there are other producers in Europe and there are other continents. So you have Asia, you have mm. South America who also produce coffee and they're trying to sell it to the EU. So what you as the EU are telling me is that, okay, I've produced my telephones now. If I want to sell them directly to the EU consumer, you're going to put extra taxes on it so that when it gets to the EU consumer, instead of my initial price that I wanted to sell it, is £100 per phone. But now, because of the taxes that you've put in, I'm having to sell this phone and, I don't know, £700. Um, £700. Okay, so it's that much but of a difference. you then come to me and mm. say, okay, if I sell it to you as the EU first, and then you will sell it to um, you will sell it to the uh, EU consumer. If I sell it to you first, you buy them from me for fifty pounds, and then you go and sell it to the EU consumer for five hundred. So it's, it, so you're not yeah. giving me direct access to your market. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what sort of trade is I that? I mean, even if it wasn't direct access, if it was uh, uh, a f like fair tariffs, yeah, um, fair tariffs, and it's almost like it's all set up to ensure that these countries have the monopoly and they're always ahead. And, As and in, you can't survive without me. You yeah. want to do business, you come to me first. You don't go and do business directly. What, what was that thing you just said? Uh, Africa needs... Um, trade, not aid. Trade, not aid. That's a powerful thing, you know, because, you know, like people tend to think that uh, Africa is... Obviously, there's a lot of um, starving countries in Africa and there's a lot of uh, poverty in Africa, but it's directly linked with the this kind of situation. So people look at those countries as like victim kind of countries that need aid. But what you just said there, where they need trade, they actually have the resource um, and they actually have the power. Um, I mean, most of the resource come from there. Exactly, man. Exactly. So yeah. how do you expect, how do you justify that the continent which has the most uh, the biggest percentage of the of world resources yeah. yeah you know how do you justify being a, one of a, the least the, the smallest beneficiary of those resources how exactly, does that make sense exactly it's like it's, it's like saying that okay uh we all live in my house you are getting uh you are doing business from my house and everything you all are making ten thousand pounds a month and i as the owner of the house i'm making 200 pounds a month how does that make any sense yeah it's we my can, house it's we, my property but you are benefiting the most from it yeah yeah because we uh in pakistan we have a, a state called balochistan uh, and that's like it's, it's a bit tribal so it's not like developing and and most of the natural um, resources are from there, but they don't. They they don't even have access. Well, now they do, but before they didn't even have access to it. So the natural resources are coming from there, going into the bigger cities and stuff, uh, mostly gas. And that area didn't even have access to its own resource. So we can relate, and I think it's a good topic um, for another podcast. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I've got one final question for you. Um, Brexit obviously happened 31st of Jan. Um, yeah. I've not seen... Well, technically, it's, it's going to go until the 31st yeah. of yeah. December. We we still kind of... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I want to know a bit more about um, its effect on... Its impact on young people, especially. Like, what are, what are the most notable impacts that, are we gonna, that we're going to probably see? 
I think, and that's going to affect the young people the most. I think one of the things that I see as the biggest impact of Brexit that it's going to have in young people is divisiveness. I think Brexit has, has really shattered the unity of this country and uh, that's going to, in my opinion, is something that's going to take generations to repair. Mm. Well, maybe not generations, but it, it's going to take a long time to repair that because yeah. both on within left and right, they're very distrustful of each other. I mean, um, after the Brexit vote, we were hearing we were hearing things like I'm, on Facebook. I saw some of my uh, friends, uh, young people, kind of saying stuff like, "Oh, these old people messed up our future and everything." And you know, I think people underestimate the impact that that's gonna. Um, is I think as a society is making us less, you know, unified. Not just less unified, but it's making us trust each other less. It's almost like it's pushing this old narrative of us versus them yeah yeah and i think anyone that thinks that yeah on the 31st of december that is over no brexiteers were campaigning for decades to get britain out of the eu i don't see why remainers are going to be any different so we can spare decades do you think they're pushing towards the England, um, the the UK rejoining the European Union? Yeah, yeah. Do Do you not think there should be like you know how there's a European Union, and it was built to like uh, for market and uh, for trade and stuff like that? Do you not think that there should be like a world union? You can argue that there is, in a sense, the isn't United that United Nations? Nations. Yeah. the united nations but no but that's more like i think at at security. a global at a global level is is going to be a lot more difficult because if we look around the world we'll see like three powers the, right yeah the three powers are taking fundamentally different shifts so we're looking at where china and russia are going uh we're looking at where the eu is going and we're looking at where uh, north america is going uh, even within North America, they have the e, the the US going in its own direction. Yeah. So we've gotten so far apart from each other that I think it, it will take a lot to bring that conversation of global unity back on the table. Do you remember in year ten? No, not year ten. AS AS Economics, yeah. Mr. Drake. He mentioned a phrase, and I don't know if it was his or if he got it from a book or something. When America sneezes, the, the rest of the world, world catches a cold. Do you yeah. think that's still applicable today? Um, Considering all, there's like the growth in the in the other powerful nations I since think then, to a certain level, yes, but it's not what it was in the past. I it think the US has lost its grip uh, on the world. Uh, before it, it was really the case. Like if the US sneezes, they, that is, is, now it's a wrap for the rest of us, <laughs> you know. Um, but Apparently now, now it's China. Um, yeah, China. You you can argue China is getting there, and to a certain level, it is because uh, a bad year in China in terms of economy will have significant impact in the rest of the world because China is now one of the big traders around the world. I mean, they are all over Africa. China really? is all over Africa, yeah. and the mm. the the danger with China is that China is coming in and he's saying, "We don't give a toss about your um, democracy. We don't give the 
you know, we, we don't care about this, this other, uh, democracy, fair elections, no. We want the resources, here's the money. Mm. And China is financing a lot of infrastructure projects around Africa yeah. and getting, uh, you know, 100, 200, 300, 500 year leases on natural Th- resources. That's what we were talking about in the Uyghur Muslim yeah, uh, podcast yeah. as well. So they've got the, the China Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. And you know, yeah. with the um, things where, say, if Africa at some stage, they didn't want China's help in that regard and they wanted to, you know, take back their power, they'd have to, they'd have a hefty price to pay. Yeah. The, the bill would be huge, yeah. huge. And what uh, China's done with other countries is where they can't pay the bill, they've just taken hold of some of their forts and uh, resources. Yeah. And if you look at it, and what I think. China, the the China story in Africa has the potential to be a lot worse than that of the US and other Western countries. Is that China is is really just in for China in the sense that yeah. they're bringing their own workers. They're not using local. Exactly, yes, that, that's, my yeah, that's my yeah, problem. That's my problem. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're bringing Chinese people to go and build those roads, and a lot of those Chinese people are now settling in Africa. They've started businesses and now have huge powers uh, within those countries especially when so, they start starting um, families and stuff there yeah and yeah, but yeah. there is only so much blame you can put in china and at some point you need to look at the local population the local leaders to say yeah yeah really you letting these people come in here and push yeah. their ag- their own agenda and you not putting any protections for your own people like what, mm. what the hell is going on so i think it is true that um the world powers have not played fair in develop, uh, on developing countries but i think developing countries the leadership within these developing countries really need to get a grip and say you know enough is enough and i'm going to mention one country which i think is getting this right and i love the stories coming from it um ghana okay. ghana gets me very excited really i think ghana is doing a lot for africa and the current ghanaian president Watch out for him. I think that's the the kind of leaders we need in Africa. And what Ghana is doing is, um, they had this thing that uh, repa- they they call it repatriation, which is kind of to get uh people of um African descent to come back to the motherland to start investing their set of businesses. In like there. Akon. Right. where's Acon from? Um, from Senegal. Senegal, yeah, and yeah. If you look at the US, they are loving that. Americans are trying to go back to Ghana. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other day I was listening to a podcast, um, a hip-hop podcast, uh, the Joe Budden podcast. Mm. And they were saying like, oh, don't talk to me. I'm going back to Ghana. <laughs> I'm going back to the <laughs> and I was saying, look, Ghana is getting it right. Like yeah, this, is what, yeah, yeah. this yeah. is what the local leaders need to be doing. Yeah. They need to be promoting our interests. We have the resources. We have the population. It only takes someone to say enough is enough. Let's go, you know, let's get ourselves together and let's start building something for our people. Yeah. And I think Ghana is is working really hard on that. And there are reso- um, results are coming out of Ghana. And I'm very, very, very excited about it. May uh, May God give them prosperity, man. You know, sure, I, I hope more African yeah. countries follow yeah, because right. what Ghana is doing, I think, is important for Africa and for developing countries, or not just in Africa, all over, to say that okay, actually, we can, because um, they came in, 
they looked at the oil contracts and they say this is nonsense. Yeah, you're yeah. robbing us. I think let's I think, sit back. Let's I think, sit down. I think we should. Down. I think we should definitely. Um, this this should be a a a, a, a yeah. bigger podcast. Um, and hey, I think anytime it, it should I'm be an episode. In so I, 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 a that's a very interesting yeah. topic. Yeah, Jonathan, uh, thank you very much, man, and I'd uh, love to invite you again. Oh, um, uh, anytime, you the, know. I, I love it. I, I love having discussions. You yeah. you know these scenes, scene school. Bro, um, so yeah. My my thing is, I want to see you there, and I want to see Ahmed there. Bro. Yeah, let's. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna get on his case. Say, you know, you need to calm down, sit down with me. Let's have a conversation with these boys, okay? Yeah, we'll go to him if if needs be, man. But bro, thank you very much for coming. Well, thank you for inviting me here. Um, great oh. pleasure. Keep up the good work. Uh, um, try and speak more English uh, so, <laughs> oh, so I can follow or, or put some subtitles so, so I can. I was gonna. I was gonna actually mention this to you. Um, so in future, uh, just to identify the which episodes are um, in pa- Pakistani dialect, um, just look at the thumbnail. Uh, do you watch it on YouTube or Apple's podcast? Uh, YouTube, YouTube. So the thumbnail with the green in it. Okay. That's gonna be the one in mm. Pakistani dialect, okay. and so the thumbnails with the orange, <laughs> <Now> uh, <I> know. <laughs> orange fireball kind of thing. That'll be the English because you you really got me considering taking a course in Pakistani. <laughs> <now. laughs> I think I, I need to understand everything. Yeah. Bro, appreciate that, man. Respect, yeah. and we'll uh, we'll be on soon again. Thank you guys yeah. for tuning in.